This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. <laughs> oh, Claudette. <laughs> oh, Linda. <laughs> did you hear the forecast? I did. Yeah. yeah and I'm trust, trying to figure out the amounts in my head and how much work it's going to mean for everybody. Yeah. It's always scary when uh, you ask for amounts and you're, you don't get an amounts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, only to say it's going to be significant Significant. now if a meteorologist tells you it's significant that means a lot like one would think that's that's more than five or six centimeters (laughs) yeah i'm thinking a lot way a lot more than that yeah so i I did i spoke with um david Mm neal just a short while ago uh, to paint us a picture now um there's still a lot of models Right. So it must be, you know, hard to interpret, you know, which one is going to be the right one. <laughs> yeah, because I woke up this morning and I was like, ah, Snowmageddon is coming again. And going around and talking to people and people, you know, saying, oh, you know, you got your snow blower ready. You got your shovel ready. All this stuff. Everybody bracing for it. And then everybody's like, eh, it's going to pass us. So I said, OK, I got to check. Yeah, because there's so much talk about it on social media. I'm just trying to figure out what's going to happen for the weekend. Yeah, well, if you were wondering <laughs> wonder well wonder no more i was going to say wonder no more but it's still sort of coming together uh here's uh environment canada meteorologist david neal who i spoke to just a short while ago well david i know a lot of people have been bracing for the possibility of some pretty significant snowfall over the course of the weekend uh, what are you seeing now um, what we're seeing, this is a, what we're expecting to see is a, a low pressure system is going to make its way south of the island uh, throughout the course of uh, of the weekend. It's just going to kind of stall and kind of hang around and deepen. It's, so it's going to be a very kind of gradual start uh, to the uh, uh, to the significant weather with this uh, with this system. Uh, expecting uh, actually uh, a bit of a really period of snow throughout uh, throughout a good portion of the weekend over many areas of the island. Not necessarily the whole island. It looks like uh, uh, much of uh, much of kind of the eastern uh, eastern part of the island will will kind of sit out the first round uh, that we're going to see. But basically, what we're what we're, what we're seeing here is some 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 light snow moving in uh, moving in on Friday, and that kind of continues. Uh, into uh, into Saturday and then even through Sunday, it stays fairly light for the most part, really throughout those few days. And it's, for the most part, it looks like it's going to be kind of confined mainly to kind of central west, uh, central west Newfoundland. Um, gradual, you know, accumulations. The winds will again very very slowly increase in strength out of the northeast. Uh, really throughout the weekend, so very very slow start with this uh, with this storm. Uh, not expecting really the the main event uh, to to really kind of get uh, to get ramped up until likely sometime uh, either Sunday night or early Monday now. But uh, with that said, still still expecting some accumulation of snow uh, for uh, for a lot for quite a few areas of the island uh, throughout the weekend. It's just going to be a very very gradual, very light uh, uh, start as it uh, as we get uh, get through the weekend. Any estimates on accumulations by the time this thing passes through? Um, what we're seeing, the, the basically a lot of long range models have been uh, have uh, have kind of been. A little bit, all, not necessarily all over the place, but it, it, it's, they've had. Uh, there's been some 
uh, discrepancy as to kind of where those maximum amounts are going to set up. Um, generally expecting accumulations of, of snow across the island uh, with this. So with this storm, uh, looks like coming into focus now, looks like more uh, really kind of northeastern Newfoundland and parts of central that will likely bear the, the brunt of the, the highest totals with this, uh, with this storm. Uh, in terms of amounts, again, it's still, uh, it's still quite up in the air, but looking at some, uh, some fairly significant snowfall uh, potential. Uh, especially once you get into that late Sunday night and really through the day Monday and even into Tuesday uh, of next week. So a fairly long duration, uh, heavy, uh, just starting out as a light snowfall event, but really uh, getting the more more heavy stuff as we get more, uh, really more into the early part of next work week. And you say um, eastern Newfoundland is is not going to see the brunt of it, but uh, what could we expect uh, on this side of the province? Well, in terms of the initial period of light snow, we're not really going to see too, too much in eastern Newfoundland. But uh, once once we get into the kind of the heavier stuff, um, eastern Newfoundland could it will likely see some will likely see some impact from this storm. Uh, really looking kind of really getting started either uh, likely very late uh, through the night hours, uh, Sunday night into early Monday. Um, what we're seeing right now for uh, kind of for the really for the Avalon Peninsula could see an initial shot of uh, fairly heavy snowfall uh, through the late uh, through the period of late Sunday night into early Monday. Uh, but then there's a good, there's a chance that that uh, precipitation is actually going to change over to rain. We could see uh, a pretty good uh, a period of uh, of, uh, of steady rainfall across uh, across the Avalon through a good portion of the day on Monday before eventually, uh, either sometime Monday night or early Tuesday, eventually that precipitation looks like it's going to change back to snow. Uh, so really a messy, uh, a messy setup possible for, uh, for the Avalon Peninsula. And even that could possibly even extend into uh, areas like the Bonavista Peninsula and, and even parts of, uh, of the Buren Peninsula as well. But, uh, yeah, definitely a much kind of a messier setup for, uh, for Eastern Newfoundland, but even though it'll be a little later starting for, for those areas, it, it does look like it will, th- th- those regions will get into at least some significant weather, uh, as we get more into, like I say, late Sunday night and early Monday, certainly going to be uh, um, a, a, a very uh, messy start to the uh, to the work week. So a lot of snow and precipitation, but will it be stormy? Uh, as we get more into, again, kind of coming back to more like the late Sunday night uh, into early Monday type of time frame, as I mentioned, this is a very gradual system like the, the the snowfall really starts really very slowly ramps up throughout uh, as we get into the weekend into early into the work week the winds are much the same uh so what we're seeing is uh what we're lo- what we're looking at is a northeasterly winds that will very very slowly increase in strength throughout the uh, throughout the weekend uh not really expecting anything too too strong as we get into the weekend um really through much of the weekend but could still be enough you could see a few areas where that uh, where the snow could blow and drift around a little bit uh through the day on sunday uh as we get uh, into uh, more late sunday night into into early monday we're starting to see those winds really increase in strength and any of those areas where that precipitation is falling as snow uh, could see some uh, some areas of uh, of blowing snow, very poor visibilities, uh, really throughout the day Monday, 
lingering into Monday night and even getting into uh, early in the day on Tuesday. So very gradual, very slow getting started. But yeah, there's uh, there's definitely some uh, some potential there for some the heavy snowfall, strong winds, and blowing snow, uh, especially as we get into the early part of the work week. So an extended weekend for some, by the sounds of it, there's a possibility anyway. Uh, David Neal, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. So that's the uh, long and the short of it as it stands right now. And, of course, it could change. But we'll have a better picture tomorrow, no doubt. So it looks like it's not too bad for the weekend for us, but Sunday night going into, into Monday. Monday. So, yeah. So, yeah, uh, cancellations, perhaps, all that. Yeah. All that. Anyway, we'll keep you up to date, and we'll keep you informed of all of that. And I it, it, uh, it, I couldn't help but think back on your conversation earlier today about names for snowplows. Oh, right. And uh, you, you came up with Snowa Shepherd, oh, yes. which I liked. Um, Greg Smith came up with uh, Richard Dugout. Rich, Richard Dugout. Yeah, that's a great one. I was trying, uh, racking my brains, trying ever so hard to come up with ones for Claudette Burns, but so hard. I was trying to come up with one for Linda. Yeah, it. it uh, <laughs> whatever I came up with was a real and stretch. Yeah, 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 and not that good. <laughs> the best I could come up with was Claudette buried under i don't know <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah it wasn't that uh, easy but if anybody else uh, has uh, some clever <laughs> um snowplow ideas names. snowplow names for myself or claudette feel, feel free <laughs> Um, I'm almost afraid now. Thank you, Linda. Yeah. So there you go. Um, well, coming up after the break, a Bailey Bridge will be constructed uh, in Marystown that should get traffic flowing once again following the closure of the Canning Bridge. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. I wanted to make mention of this story because it's an important one and it affects an awful lot of people and it speaks to this um, apparent trend uh, towards uh, a more urbanized approach to life in general. We've seen rural uh, post offices closing. We've seen rural banks closing and arguably you can get those services other ways, you know what I mean, through uh, the internet and the like. But in rural areas, it's still quite difficult and Wi-Fi is not a guarantee uh, depending on where you are in the country and uh, it just seems to be this this um, I don't know uh, urban centric or Toronto centric if you will uh, type of uh, attitude towards uh, business and, and carrying out business but there's a new policy now by Manual Life on prescription drugs that is going to have a big impact on millions of Canadians but perhaps nowhere more so than in rural areas. So if you are covered by Manulife on your, your um, drug policy, and an awful lot of people are, they're one of the bigger players, uh, you may be facing some pretty different ways of trying to get your uh, drugs. Certain classes of drugs will be covered only if they're filled by drug outlets owned by Loblaws. So that includes Shoppers Drug Mart, for for example, which is owned by Loblaws. Um, Lawton's, however, is not. That's part of the uh, the Sobeys group of companies. Uh, and, of course, we have many, many um, independent 
drugstore owners across uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, Labrador West MP and MHA, uh, uh, sorry, Labrador West NDP MHA, Jordan Brown, told VOCM Open Line uh, with Patty Daly this morning about 75% of residents in his district are covered by Manulife because, you know, they're working for the big um, mining companies. But the nearest shoppers drug mart or Loblaws are hundreds of miles away. So uh, he says, while drugs can be shipped, he doesn't think that that is a reasonable alternative. Well, what a lot of them saying is like, okay, you can ship it to us, but that's not that's not healthcare. That's just putting it in a box and sending it up to a residence here. A lot of them have an established trust, especially with a lot of complex health needs, with their pharmacists here in the region. So you're going to say we're going to put it in a box and ship it up to you. What if it's wrong? What if the dosages are wrong? What if this? They got to wait again. These are complex, serious health complex needs. A lot of these drugs are for, and this is what they're. This is the kind of thing that they're going to do. This is just corporate greed at its best, Patty. So that's uh, some of what uh, Jordan Brown had to say this morning, and it's going to have some far-reaching impacts, and I'd like to hear what people have to say about that um, as they uh, learn more. Well, the provincial government announced temporary measures to help get traffic flowing once again between Creston North and South in Marystown. A Bailey Bridge will be constructed this year as uh, work on plans for a permanent structure to replace the Canning Bridge continues. Marystown Mayor Brian Keating joins me now. Well, Mayor Keating, uh, as we talked yesterday, uh, Minister John Abbott was in town today to um, provide an update on the the bridge situation there involving the Canning Bridge. I understand a Bailey Bridge is being uh, constructed. What's the deal there? What's going on? It's actually great news for the whole peninsula, Marystown especially. Uh, this will expedite uh, the accessibility from the north side to the south side, which is great. And what's really good about it, it's... Uh, it's going to affect a little bit of timeline on the, the new Canning Bridge because, of course, you've got to do construction on the Bailey Bridge. Uh, but they did give us a word and their budget and showed us all the scheduling and stuff, which is on our town page. Uh, we are going to get the Bailey Bridge, and uh, we are going to still continue to get our bridge with a, a budget in excess of $25 million. And like I said in my interview earlier on uh, on Facebook page, you know, a $5 million to $6 million price tag for a Bailey Bridge is a fairly large number. But uh, Minister uh, Abbott and Minister Pike, of course, is here and assured us that the money is available. And the day that the Bailey Bridge is completed will be the first day for the demolition of the Canning Bridge. So it will not impact, impact uh, pedestrian walking. And one good news, uh, the Bailey Bridge is a little smaller. It is a single-lane bridge, but it do have a walkway access for it, and they're going to have a lighting system on both sides for uh, the one-way traffic. But it's, it's great news. It's going to give a, a financial relief to the residents on the south side, and it's going to it's going to proceed uh, as soon as the permits. And a lot of the permits are outside of uh, the provincial government. The DFO, of course, is a federal agency, uh, but the town of Marystown is in process now of writing all their federal MPs. Uh, and getting them to do a little rush with DFO to see if we can get the permits in place so we can start this uh, bridge, Bailey Bridge. And, so of course, once the permit's in place, it's only a six-month, they assured us it's a six-month schedule to install the Bailey Bridge. So what type of uh, timeline are we looking at? Can we expect that people will be able to cross there uh, this summer? Well, no, I'll get, I actually got the schedule right in front of me, which is phenomenal. Uh, of course... This is the worst case scenario, so they'll uh, 
construction of the, the Bailey Bridge would be late fall 2024, spring 2025. That's worst case scenario. And like Minister Abbott said in his uh, presentation today, if the permits get in place before, that will push it a little forward, which we're all hoping and we're all going to be putting letters out and calling our MPs on the federal side to get DFO permit approved. And uh, by then, it says by spring 2025, we'll be having uh, pedestrians driving back and forth from south side to north side. And the sec that tells me and Minister Poig and Minister Abbott said that uh, uh, the demolition will start uh, the day the, the temporary bridge is open. So I think it's great news. I was kind of surprised, I'll be honest. I wasn't expecting uh, to get both scenarios done. And uh, we were very appreciative. And I'm sure the residents of Marystown are very appreciative of it. And I'd like to answer a question, if I may. A lot of people are saying, well, what took so long? Well, bureaucrats and permitting and the stuff takes long. It's last February, like we talked yesterday, the bridge closed. But I don't look back. we got to look forward. And it's good news going forward for the residents of Marystown. And the Bjorn Palenza, of course. Are there any fears, though, that this Bailey Bridge might uh, kick that uh, permanent bridge down the road a little bit further? Well, an initial uh, has already been pushed one year. An initial uh, scheduling, the bridge was going to be completed in 2026. And now it's 2027. And the reasoning, and uh, I'm, I'm just a bearer of the news, you know, I'm not in in charge of scheduling money, but we do have to put the, permanent, the temporary bridge, Bailey Bridge, in before we can start demolition on the the Canning Bridge because uh, pedestrian traffic, once you take the first bolt out of the permanent bridge, is no longer accessible by residents. So I think it's the best of both worlds. The temporary bridge will be open, uh, pedestrians can walk, traffic can travel, and then the demolition of the Canning Bridge will start. Are you surprised by that $5 million uh, price tag? Well, as everybody know, and you know what social media is like, uh, we were, you know, we had a concern citizen came in, so uh, their coalition came in and said, oh, we got prices 800000 Well, you know, uh, as that's a small number. And $5 million to $6 million is a large number. But you know what? It's, uh, if you look at the town of Marystown, for instance, what uh, we paid in tax with all the industry we had here and the tax base here, you know, uh, for fire safety and life safety for residents on the south side and north side, $5 million is a small number. And so you're hoping that uh, that will be sooner rather than later? Oh, definitely. And like I said, uh, we want to reinsure all the residents of the Bjorn Princeton and Marystown residents especially. Uh, what I'm doing today actually is uh, myself and the staff are writing letters to all the MPs of uh, the Newfoundland Caucus in uh, Ottawa, Minister Rogers, uh, um, not Minister Roger, MP Rogers, MP uh, uh, Yvonne Cody, Yvonne uh, Jones. We're writing all the all the MPs now. Every even the PC and Liberal ones are to push down and get the Department of uh, DFO and Fisheries and federally approved this uh, this permit so we can get start right away. So we are like between Mr. Rogers and Ken McDonald and Yvonne Jones and those people. They're going to help us out. Phenomenally, and of course, uh, Seamus Reagan already reached out to those guys. They know the situation we got here, so I'm quite optimistic that this permit will uh, start a lot quicker. That the average of this uh, permit takes anywhere from 97 days up to 200 plus days to get approved on a regular basis. But we're definitely going to try and shorten that up so we can get our temporary bridge started ASAP. 
Mayor Keating, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No, thank you so much. And it's a, a great day for the town of Mayor's Town and all our residents. And uh, Brian Keating, of course, is the mayor of Marystown. He's uh, uh, pleased that this uh, Bailey Bridge has been announced. It's going to still be a little while yet. Uh, they need to get all the appropriate um, approvals. And among the approvals that they need are from DFO because it's crossing a, uh, uh, a, a body of water there. So they need to get those kinds of approvals to go ahead. Um, but once they get those approvals, and they're hoping to uh, expedite that as much as possible, uh, then a Bailey Bridge will be available. It's not going to uh, replace the Canning Bridge per se, but it will get some traffic moving and it's going to be one-way traffic, if you know what I mean. I guess there'll be lights there for, you know, people to go that way and then the light will come on and then you go that way. And uh, and it's been a terrible, terrible inconvenience and and great cost to a lot of people who live in the area. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, we have an update on a... um, uh, fatal stabbing in the downtown area that took place a couple of years ago. Uh, VOCM's um, Noah Shepherd, Snowa Shepherd, I was going to call him. It, we'll have details on that coming up now in just a few seconds' time. You're listening to News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we are back. Well, the Stephenville Town Council has seen its ranks nearly cut in half following the recent resignation of three town councillors. I spoke with Stephenville Mayor Tom Rose this morning. Well, hello, Tom Rose. Well, hello, Linda Swain. So what's going on in Stephenville? I understand you've lost a few town councillors. What's going on there? Yeah, unfortunately. Well, you know, a couple of reasons there. Uh, Obviously, it always ends up personal reasons why people leave but uh, there are three newest councillors that just got elected you know two and a half years under their belt and uh, just being on council now for the first time as a new councillor it is very challenging because we are very very busy I, I would say that we we're, we're running about 80 to 100 meetings a year you know that's how busy this town is getting uh, but one of the challenges for even our existing council that exists now and the people that left was uh, these code of conducts that new measures that came into the uh, municipal affairs and the provincial government, it really put a lot of stressors on our staff, our, uh, uh, our employees, our councillors, a lot of code of conduct complaints coming in took up a lot of time a lot of resources and we're we're pretty thin on resources and uh, there was a lot of stressors there and the challenge with it Linda was 99.999 of those are frivolous or kicked out but you got to go through a full process with investigators and lawyers and meetings and special meetings and and then uh, the stressors today, I guess, being on council, there's a lot of very judgmental people out there, and they have that right, you know, this charter rights and freedoms. But social media uh, has been very challenging. Stephenville's going through a lot of changes. Uh, I love it. Uh, we're going to grow. Some people don't like the deal we did uh, or support it with the airport and the Stephenville Airport Corporation to sell the airport. Some people are not happy with the wind energy. 
some people are not happy with the, my leadership as mayor. And there's no mayor in this province or this country. That's perfect. But, you know, we uh, we stay the course. We try to move the, the town forward with good governance, uh, rules of procedure. We've all done the training. So that's some of the things. But on a personal note, uh, and I've seen some a little bit of media with all Newfoundland and Labrador, but uh, I'll start off with our first resignation, uh, Councillor Tracy Bowen. Wonderful person, great community volunteer, headed up Guardian Angels, just took over a brand new business. And uh, she was tapped out, you know, with the stressors of all the negativity and you know, some of these comments that people make and they're judgmental are, you know, defaming, vexatious, uh, uh, you know, malicious. They're, they're terrible, but you got to handle it. You got to have thick skin to be on council. You got to have alligator skin nowadays. And then uh, Councillor Tristan Eulen, uh, he's the, I think, our youngest member, uh, just purchased a bunch of businesses. Uh, very, very busy. Just had a baby. Uh, very busy in his own work and with everything coming out he said if there's going to be a by-election might as well look for somebody else and then Councillor Lenny Tiller uh, he was uh, uh, I guess a councillor that I felt he felt he was in the official opposition of council and uh, so he challenged us and that was a good thing that's democracy but at the end of the day, I think there's going to be some good people running with some good background. We get some new blood around the table. Uh, but if you're going to step up to the plate, you got to be able to handle it, and you got to be able to put the time into it. So what will this spark now, a, a series of by-elections? How's that going to work? Yeah, just one. We have a nomination. I think it's the 6th and 5th or the 6th or the 6th and the 7th of two days of nominations in February. That's uh, shortly, and uh, well, and uh, I believe it's March six is the by-election. So, uh, with a by-election too, there's always a cost, uh, and there's a lot of work for our town clerk and staff to get that ready. But uh, you know, that's part of the the business of municipal governance, and there's provincial by-elections and federal by-elections and municipal by-elections. But uh, uh, Stephenville is in the growth. Uh, position it's busy and uh, i just hope we get people that want to run because they want to be part of a team uh to move stephen forward that they're just not running because they want to be uh opposition of all the good things that are happening is this a setback for the town uh, you you mentioned all the things that are on stephenville's plate right now will this um, you know hamper any of that uh, uh any of those ambitions i suppose no, because, you know, we're still operating as a council under the municipal act. You can actually go down to two people. So we, we still have a majority. We have four councillors. We're still on target with everything, working with our management. No setbacks with us. Uh, it just takes a little bit more time. we got to get some new councillors elected, and then they got to be trained up. they got to go to a lot of training with uh, municipal affairs, uh, uh, code of conduct training. So uh, it's a bit of work, but... Uh, and it'll be for a little over a year, and then the general election will come forward. So they'll get to decide, yeah, do I really like it, or do I want to stay in the game, or maybe it might be a short uh, experience as a municipal councillor. You uh, got a new CAO back in November. He's already resigned. What's going on there? Yeah. Oh, we're so un- so unfortunate. You know, Johnson Galga came in, a lot of credentials. 
I think what happened was when he applied for Steve Mully, he had applied for some significant positions, uh, and and over Christmas he got offered one of them, and was probably more pay. Um, back home in St. John's where he lives, you know, and, but all intentions were he was here. His partner had uh, moved and started working at the college here. All intentions were good. Uh, but, you know, we roll with that under the Municipal Act. Uh, actually, municipalities don't even have to have a manager as long as you got a clerk. So, but uh, there's a little bit of a transition. We're interviewing next week and hoping to get a good candidate uh, uh, to steer the ship and get things happening here in Stephenville for our council. You mentioned the code of conduct off the top there, and you said that that's added some uh, stressors on uh, staff and employees. What do you mean exactly? Well, it was a lot of work. Every time somebody puts a code, I think we had 10 code of conduct complaints. They're very lengthy process. You've got to hire investigators, lawyers. Uh, but the good news I'm hearing is that they're amending the code of conduct uh, policies, procedures, and processes uh, in the provincial government. Uh, that's going to make it a little bit more uh, easy to handle. Because right now, Linda, you know, we have collective agreements that in the Steve Mulder's uh, grievance and complaint procedures that we have in place. Uh, internally, we have our own uh, complaint procedures with non-union employees. You know, you, you go to the manager, and if uh, you can't go to the manager, if that's the one you're complaining against, you can come to council. So we've already had good complaint procedures. And the challenge with this code of conduct, this, and I don't mean to be uh, – I mean, say not taking this serious, but if somebody from Planet Orb complained about Mayor Tom Rose and his leadership, I'm sure we'd have to have an investigation on it. You know, it's it's gone. like a lot of these complaints are coming from people that don't even live in town. They're not taxpayers in town, but it doesn't matter. They all have to be processed and it takes time and money. And every thousand dollars we spend on investigators and lawyers, that's one thousand dollars less we have to put into community groups or you know recreation or you name it so but that's part of the game you just got to be able to roll with it but i think the government the provincial government's making some changes there mayor tom rose i do appreciate your time uh, i guess we'll be hearing more about the by-elections in due order yeah i'm looking forward to it anyways and thanks for having me on linda thank you bye-bye and that is the mayor of Stephenville, Tom Rose, uh, talking about the recent resignation of three town councillors and the CAO. Uh, any thoughts on that? You're welcome to give us a call. When we come back after the break, we're going to uh, learn more about the sentencing for 30-year-old Lorraine Obed, uh, sentenced to four and a half years in the stabbing death of 49-year-old Jimmy Corcoran, uh, known on the street, I believe, as SpongeBob, um, in uh, August of 2021. We'll be back right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we are back on VOCM News Talk, and we're going to go now to uh, VOCM's Brian Callahan, who has an update on uh, a case he's been following for some time. Hello, Brian. 
Hi, Linda. So I can remember that August evening uh, in 2021, uh, myself and my family driving through that area on the way home at the time. Beautiful day. Uh, In fact, uh, our little boy was playing baseball that day, so we were carrying him home and uh, came across um, this uh, situation. It was at the the top of the street that we're talking about uh, on La Marchant Road, and I can still see in my mind's eye all the people standing around, and my first instinct was to say, oh my goodness, what's happening here? But there was something about the way the people were standing around that made me realize suddenly something very serious has happened here here. So uh, you've seen the conclusion of this particular case. What happened? Well, Linda, what you're just saying, I had something else to say. Well, now that you say that, um, all of those people had just witnessed in broad daylight, uh, Lorraine Obed come out of a house and walk down. There were a lot of people on the street. We just heard in court the very vivid details of this, how she walked out of a house after getting a knife out of the house. It wasn't her house. They had been in another house. And she was extremely intoxicated, came down, and with one full roundhouse swing, dug a steak knife directly into the collarbone of uh, Jimmy Corcoran, as you said, a.k.a. SpongeBob. And he died within minutes. Um, He stumbled. He uh, stumbled far down Carter's Hill, fell down behind a parked car, and by the time paramedics get there, there was no sign of life. So she had struck a major vein. Um, So that's basically, in a nutshell, what happened. There was a lot of arguing before that. Both of them were highly intoxicated, crack cocaine, weed, alcohol, you name it. And, of course, Lorraine Obed, um, the facts have come out. I mean, she danced around the street in front of everybody afterward saying, I finally did it. He's gone. I did it. Um, you know, in a completely out-of-this-world state, uh, we now know, uh, from psychologists, psychiatrists, and other, everybody else that has looked at this. And then the key case, key for this case is, the sentencing principles and how the courts have been looking at indigenous peoples and how they're sentenced. So there is a report, and I'm not going to get into all these details of of reports and that sort of thing, but it has come to the realization of the criminal courts and judges and the Supreme Court of Canada that indigenous people have to be sentenced differently. And in Lorraine Obed's case, it is, it is, it is, you know, deeply uh, vivid and clear that that's the case. She suffered physical, sexual abuse growing up in Nain. Um, You know, her parents, she never had any parents her mother died when she was three she never knew her father she was bullied she you know i mean you can imagine the raft of what she has gone through and the difficult life she has led to this point which has surrounded and included drugs alcohol depression ptsd fasd you name it it runs the gamut uh i don't mean to be so blunt and and you know i mean it, it was an emotional time in the courtroom today it broke a couple of times uh, once when Lorraine Obed broke down, when the judge started talking about her children, how much they love her, how much she loves them, um, you know, it it just it, it this is the the thing with this case. Uh, she was sentenced to four and a half years. That's most some people might consider on the low end, but in the principles now being adopted on indigenous sentencing, you're, they're taking into a whole uh, account. All of these other things we never took into account before, whether it's residential schools, reconciliation, you name it. And the courts are not losing sight of it. They're doing their best to separate out Indigenous cases, given the aggravating factors that have already faced a lot of these people. Well, indeed, because uh, I think right from the get-go, a lot of people started talking about uh, a, a very real and tragic history here. 
Yeah, and there's no question. And, you know, I mean, we say four and a half years, so it should also be noted she has been in custody since her arrest that night. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, she, she wasn't a model inmate, but, you know, the reports about her since this have been positive, uh, which they usually are, lots of remorse. But she was arrested that night, and she has been in custody ever since. Now, we know um, pretrial custody usually comes with time and a half. So basically the judge looks at how much time you spent in custody, times it by one and a half. So you get credit for one and a half days for every day you spend. Lately, judges and uh, have been, when you spend that time at the HMP, they're giving even more credit on top of the 1.5 because of the conditions down there and that place. Lorraine Obed didn't spend her time there, obviously. She was uh, she spent her time at the Correction Centre in Clarenville, uh, where uh, it was noted that she was not an ideal inmate. She assaulted staff. She assaulted a, a guard, um, allegedly. These things, uh, I'm not sure where in the chain they are, but we'll say alleged because I can't confirm whether a conviction has been entered. But the judge is very candid about that. Um, so noting all that. So in the end, um, she was given credit for, and when it all adds up, so you would have... Um, since August 26th of 2021 until today, she had racked up 1,335 days of credit for time served. That includes the 1.5. So technically about 891 days, but then when you add the extra 0.5, it comes out to about 1,335. She's sentenced to four and a half years, which is about 1,400 and something, which ends up being 308 days left to serve, just less than a year. And that's that's the totality. She could probably, again, uh, the judge talked about the support from the Nunatia, right up from the Nunatia government officials, right down to her friends and family, who, you know, I mean, the idea is she has to get, she wants, she has to move back to Labrador. They want to get her into a job and all these sorts of things. You know, I mean, there's funding, there's support waiting for her there. Um, recovery. There's three years of probation. She'll be watched very closely. You know, it's one of the longest, most detailed, exhaustive, uh, read-out decisions I've been ever in court for. This was Justice Glenn Noel. And I, I hesitate to say this a bit, Linda, but even he, at one point, I've never seen a court, uh, I, sometimes in provincial, but never a Supreme Court justice, sort of catch himself for a moment uh, when discussing the antecedents or the, you know, the situation of an accused. Um, and he was referring at the time to what she had experienced growing up as a child and uh, he caught himself once it got very emotional in the courtroom you could hear he had to clear his throat and take a moment but he he recovered like a Supreme Court justice he does and uh, there was nothing after that and he he plowed through I mean obviously you can't show bias in these situations but some of these things are so realistic and tragic and the intergenerational trauma when it's spelled out in front of you the specifics of what Lorraine Obed grew up in in Nain Labrador it's it's shocking and honestly, you know, to really grab the context and, and the, the extent of, of reconciliation and what has happened to Indigenous people over the years, people should read this decision. Brian, I really appreciate you uh, jumping on and letting us know about this. Uh, I know you're just clear of the courtroom yourself. Uh, thank you very much. And we're, we'll hear more about this tomorrow morning, no doubt. I understand you're going to be providing a bit more information uh, during our morning show as well. Yeah, I'll fill in all the gaps that I've left out. I just got out of the courtroom enough, so this is all strictly my memory. And now when I get a chance to look at my notes, I'll kick myself 100 times for forgetting to say 100 things. Yeah, I know how it goes, Brian, but I do appreciate <laughs> you jumping on with us so quickly. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thanks. All righty.
Bye-bye. Um, yeah, a very uh, tragic case there all around, and we thank uh, Brian for joining us and giving us a little bit of uh, um, uh, insight into what happened there this afternoon. When we uh, No, we're not going to take a break. We took a break, but um, here's a, a, an interesting story. We talk a lot about uh, scams that are making the rounds. Well, Claudette, here is uh, one that we were was brought to our attention today by the RCMP. Um, uh, RCMP Corporal Jolene Garland uh, spoke with me uh, just a short while ago. Corporal Jolene Garland, I understand there's a, a bit of a concern regarding scams, and we know that the scams are continuously going around and people are being more creative in trying to separate you from your hard-earned money. But what's, uh, what's come to your attention recently? So recently, earlier this week, the Bay Roberts RCMP detachment received a call from an individual who resides in the area, and uh, she was concerned because she had alleged she'd received a phone call from a police officer with the Bay Roberts RCMP, or a person certainly representing themselves that way, looking for her help, her uh, you know, to collect funds, to gather funds in in aid of homeless women and children in the province. Um, So we, you know, certainly want listeners to know, want the public to know that there is currently no fundraiser of that sort uh, being conducted at the moment by the RCMP in Bay Roberts. Does it worry you that that some of these scammers are are using, you know, um, places like the RCMP to try and elicit a certain level of trust, I guess, in people? Absolutely. Uh, You know, we tend to think that the public does have trust and confidence in us as, you know, their police force in certain areas of the province. And, you know, we always appreciate uh, when we do legitimate fundraising, like the food banks over Christmas holidays or the wish campaigns, uh, you know, in, in in consultation with Children's Wish, you know, we always appreciate the overwhelming support that we receive. And so, you know, for somebody to use us in that manner, uh, you know, to contact the public in a way, we, we do feel that people would would come forward with money and, you know, would want to help out with, with things we're trying to organize. So it, it's certainly concerning. And how can people verify that uh, the the person that's reaching out to them is who they say they are and and raising money for the purpose that they say they're raising it for? When it comes to somebody who represents themselves as an RCMP officer or an employee of the RCMP, a simple call into your local detachment to verify that uh, would be certainly a quick way and an accurate way um, to determine whether or not this is an authentic uh, fundraiser. It's not a common practice whatsoever for us to call people when we're doing any sort of, you know, community event for helping out with a fundraising thing. Uh, You know, when we take part in in things like food banks and and that sort of thing, you'll see a police officer in their uniform with the police car, you know, there uh, gathering food items. Uh, Same thing likely with the wish trees and stuff. You know, you'd come to the detachment to make your donation. In that case, we're not going picking up a phone and, and, and calling you and asking you to support a fundraiser. You received one complaint about this. Are you concerned you might receive more? Exactly, and that's what, you know that's the reach in today to you folks to to hope that we can get the word out there. And we're also going to take to our social media channels. Uh, but we do realize that you know not all of the population follows social media, so we we really appreciate uh, you folks for getting this message out for us. Corporal Jolene Garland, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, so there you go. Somebody imitating RCMP to um, solicit some funds, and they do not do that. They do not call around saying, hey, give us some money. That is so sad. Like she said, what happens when they actually <laughs> are doing things? Are people going to be a little gun-shy about supporting them although they did say they wouldn't pick up the phone call and ask you for money right but some people don't pay attention to social media like she said so it's important to get that message out there now um, to avoid that in the future and of course you know if you're a scammer you're going to use uh, something with a certain level of authority or well, trust or specific isn't it like, something that yeah. people are familiar with immediately mm -hmm. familiar with you're not going to name some place that people have never heard of because they're going to say hey wait a minute what is that exactly but if they say you know a particular detachment and you're familiar with that detachment it would make you have your guard down just a little and you know when you're talking about homeless women and children i mean heartstrings exactly it's a it's the type of thing that people have an immediate emotional attachment um, to reaction to if you know what i'm saying so uh if you do get a call and it claims to be somebody from the rcmp raising money for homeless women and children nope not true. Uh, so, um, and if you're never sure, just say, hang on now, uh, let me take your number, I'll get back to you. And then you call your local detachment or whoever they yeah. claim to call be. Call a different number. Call the a, number. On the number that <laughs> you have sourced yourself um, and uh, find out what the truth is. Or call VOCM. We hear about these things a lot of the time, too. Uh, that's it for us for now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye for now.